Take a look on back a few decades past To a simpler time to be When your cares were tied To a phone car ride And the next show on TV So crank on up your boombox jams And flip your tape to the beside We're going back to class on this podcast Back to the Last time on 80s High. I feel like we're just establishing ourselves. I need to, we need to change up mediums, right? Okay. We can't do another music video. No. Nope. can't do another television show. Mm-mm. We need something a little different, don't we? A little diff. Mix it so up. So I'm going to poke another part of your brain mm. and peek another part of your curiosity mm. as you dive back into the world, the amazing storytelling world of Choose Your Own Adventure <laughs> books. Oh my god! Oh, that's such a good pick. Oh, I'm so excited. Those freaking books. Yes! That's right, everybody. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast where we revisit the coolest, most radical things from the 1980s. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. And Chris. And this is 80s High. Chris, mm. we had a real special treat this week that we don't get very often up here in the Pacific Northwest. Oh yeah, uh, it's a little, it's a little thing called snow. Yes, uh, we had snow, which was delightful. Um, and Chris, I'm just going to ask you a real quick question. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about back in the day with snow days? I loved snow days. What kid didn't? <laughs> I feel bad for the kids who grew up in like. I mean, I don't feel bad for them. They grew up in like lovely tropical or warm temperate climates, but they never got to experience the joy of a snow day. I'll just say really quickly, I think it was in middle school, my favorite run of snow days. We had like ridiculously cold temperatures, so much so that the afternoon before they were canceling school the next day and I had a whole week off where they were calling off school the day before and that was a freaking treat. I remember my friends, we'd turn on the local news stations, Channel 7, Dayton, Ohio, and we're like glued to the TV waiting to see our high school come up. And we knew if it laughed, we're like, okay, we still have the faith. We've got the hope. Uh, that was amazing. How about you? Absolutely. I mean, I, oh, I loved snow days and we had them a lot in Ohio, right? That was a thing. Yeah. And like you, they would go on and you'd build these massive snow forts with tunnels and they would freeze and then you could climb through them. And uh, we had a hill in our neighborhood that we always sled down, yep. which at the end had a short brick wall. So that was really well designed. That's exciting. And if you missed the brick wall, you went right out into traffic. So like, you know, it's a different time of safety <laughs> when I was a child. You can't have the joy without a little taste of danger. You know, you right. had to have that little possibility. I might hit a brick wall. Or I might Kevin McAllister through the front door right into traffic. Oh my God, yes. Boom. And I'm making none of this up. If anyone that I that grew up in my neighborhood before or after at the same time as me is hearing this, they are like, yep, exactly. I know nuts. that hill. <laughs> uh, totally. Now, like as a kid, obviously, when we had snow days, you went outside, you ran around. But as we get a little older and it's a little snowy outside, we it's a great time to sit inside with a warm cup of tea, mm. a little fire. And it's a great time to read. It is. And we're jazzed about today's topic. But my senses are tingling. 
I think Uh-oh. I'm sensing announcements coming on. I have a little bit of foretelling. Ben, yeah. do we stop and listen to the announcements or do we turn to the page where we, what's our second option? What would we do? If we don't listen to announcements, we, we just walk out and do something different. We just, yeah, or you just show. walk blindly down the hallway of the high school, not knowing where to go. <laughs> That's right. We just wander the halls. In some sort of like endless time loop, always wandering. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to turn to page three and listen to the announcements. All right, let's do it. Attention 80s high. This is Corey Bishop here to share today's homeroom announcements. Check out 80s high podcast on Instagram and email us at 80s high podcast at gmail.com. That's 80s to sign up for the show's mailing list. You, too, can be a bodacious member of the class of 80s High. Today's lunch menu will be that rectangular pizza that tastes like cardboard and looks like Freddy Krueger's face. Be sure to sign the Get Well card for Ferris in the cafeteria. Get well soon, Ferris. After school today is the first meeting of the 80s High Dungeons & Dragons Club. Meet Mike Wheeler in the AV room if you are ready for adventure. Tonight... Cheer on the basketball team as the Fightin' Mogwais take on the Hill Valley High Bulldogs. Thank you, and have a gnarly day. Go Mogwais! All right, Ben, I am super excited to talk about this week's topic, Choose Your Own Adventures. I say we turn to page five, we meander down the hall, and we go to history class. Literally, I can't, I don't even want to read the first couple of pages. Like, let's just get there now. I don't even know what the setup. Let's just go. Okay. Choose your own adventure books. There's such an amazing part of my childhood. And the funny thing is, is I don't remember actually owning a lot of these, but the ones I did read left such a mark in my mind. It's crazy. So speaking of histories, before we get into the history of these books, what is your history with Choose Your Own Adventure books been? Did you read these as a kid? If so, a lot, a couple, or did you just know about them? Tell us about that. Yeah, so glad you asked. So, and and what's funny is you just unknowingly read my history, read my palm, my, my page-turning palm on this book, uh, because I, I don't remember owning many. I think I had a couple, but it was something that was very clearly in my brain is what you went to the school library to find. Mm. Like it is definitely a series that I would check out of the school library often. I remember even our, our like neighborhood library. It wasn't the school library, but the neighborhood library mm-hmm. uh, had like a book program if you were in a certain age. And like this was always something I checked out with that book program. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to break a, a couple hearts. Like I don't have like a clear memory of like a title. Like I remember reading this one. Right. They're also sometimes a little tricky to remember because like – Plots and characters kind of help cement a story sometimes. And when you have 36 different endings, (laughs) right? It gets a little blurry of like, is that all from the same book? I can't remember. But yeah, school libraries is where this really. So, and we'll get into all the other visual and tactical cues that come with this book. But uh, yeah, that's what I remember. What about you? What do you got? That's great. Yeah. I think I only owned one of them. And I remember exactly what it is. It's a book about, it had Bigfoot on the front. It's The Bigfoot Mystery by Lynn Sonberg. Okay. This was my first Choose Your Own Adventure book, and I think my only. And I definitely remember reading through that one quite a bit. So I do want to talk about that a bit more in chemistry, but that was my first intro into the series. And so I do want to dive into how did this series come into being? What is its history? 
So Choose Your Own Adventure is a series of children's game books where each story is written from a second person point of view. This is a very atypical point of view. This is the you point of view. Not a lot of books in this style. And in the book, you as the reader assume the role of the protagonist and you make choices that determine the main character's actions and the plot's outcome, which is very cool. And originally this was a series that was created roughly for like seven to 14 year olds. And the other cool thing is like stories are typically gender and race neutral, but in some cases, particularly with the illustrations, there would be some indication perhaps. In some of these stories, the protagonist is implied to be a child and in another is an adult and others it's maybe unclear and up to interpretation. And the stories are formatted so that after a couple pages of reading, you, the protagonist, face like a couple of choices, two, three choices. Each of those leads to more options and then to one of many endings. Ben was not exaggerating. 36 endings or more are not uncommon in these books. So how did they actually start? Yeah, how did I actually could not find that. How did it all begin? So Ben, here's my question. We each had a series of books that we read for this episode. Yeah. What is, what's the name on those books? You had three. What, what's the name? So we discovered that neither of us had in a collection, and I was very disappointed because when I reached out to the library, they didn't have any from the series prior to 2005. Mm. And we really wanted to do the ones from the 80s. So you bought a box set online that came right away, and we came and did a very quick, sketchy, middle-of-the-night uh, driveway exchange, and you gave me half your box set. So the three I picked all for really mature reasons. I started, so I picked The Abominable Snowman. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to your search for Bigfoot, uh, frankly, because it's a really fun word to say, abominable. And Great word. You and I have done many mountain mountain hikes around here, so I just thought that'd be fun to put myself in those shoes. Right. Uh, the second one, which I've got a little story behind, is called The Lost Jewels of Nabuti. Mm-hmm. And I picked that also for very mature reasons, because it brought Obviously. me back to, to seventh grade geography class. And I remember very clearly our class was studying Africa, and we were in team projects, and your team could pick a country to then present to the class about that country. Everything you could find about it. Three junior high boys, of course, when we learned that there was a country called Djibouti, we did Djibouti. And it almost feels like television worthy of just 15 minutes of presentation. How many times three seventh grade boys could say the word Djibouti in front of all their friends and peers and just all the fire of giggles. And not get in trouble for it, right? You were oh, saying it legitimately. Like, right, you, you had, had to have like a straight face. Reason. Oh. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's hard because you know what the capital of Djibouti is? Oh dear, I don't. It's Djibouti. It's the city of Djibouti. Oh my goodness. So like a thousand times we said Djibouti, Djibouti. Oh, <laughs> so good. So the last jewels of Djibouti. The city's so nice they named it twice. Right. So, and then the last one, I was honored because only I found out later what an honorable position I had. Uh, I have Journey Under the Sea, mm. which you may correct me, but it's my understanding it may, copyrighted 1978, this may be the first one, if not the second. It's the it first indeed or second. is. Actually, it is. That is the very first story. Is, so I felt honored that I got to have that position. That's great. What's the author of all those books? Right. Different than the person you mentioned, these are all by R.A. Montgomery. Indeed. Mr. Montgomery. Montgomery. Which three did you take home? So I had three books as well, as Ben mentioned. And I had Mystery of the Maya. And I had Space and Beyond. And rounded it out with House of Danger. Had to give you Space and Beyond. 
Yes. You're such a space sci-fi lover. I had to give you Space and Beyond. So those are the three. Also penned by R.A. Montgomery. Mm. For very good reason. Raymond Almarin Montgomery was the original publisher and author of these series. However, he is not the actual origin story of Choose Your Own Adventure books. Dun, dun, dun. We have to go back in the Wayback Machine a little bit earlier to a gent named Edward Packard. Edward came up with the core idea of the series, and he said it emerged from these bedtime stories that he told his daughters. And it revolved around a character named Pete and his adventures. And he said that this character was encountering all these different adventures on an isolated island. And that one night he's telling the stories and he kind of ran out of ideas. He said he just wasn't sure what to do, so he asked his daughters. And each of them came up with a different path for the story. And then so Packard decided, well, he's going to go ahead and tell an ending for each of those paths. And he said what really struck him was that there was a natural enthusiasm that his daughters had for that idea. They loved it. And then he thought, hmm, could I actually write this down? I'm really uncomfortable right now at this moment because I didn't know this. Wait, I mean, it's heartwarming. It's tender. I love it. But this this guy who I've been reading about this last week, R.A. Montgomery, was kind of becoming my personal hero. Did he steal this from this loving father and family? Wow. You're thinking this is like a McDonald's origin story yes. or like, what's the guy's name? Raymond. Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember the guy's name who basically stole McDonald's from the McDonald brothers or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that what happened? Thankfully not. Oh, thank God. Think of it more as a, uh, a beautiful partnership. Let's think okay, of it that okay, way. Okay, so let's then jump to Mr. Montgomery. As I mentioned, the original publisher and author of the series. Just a little bit about him before he uh, met up with Mr. Packard is that I love this. He was kicked out of Yale Divinity School because he spent way too much time skiing and mountain climbing. So this is an adventurous guy, right? Oh, yeah. And... What he really had a lifelong passion for was innovative methods of teaching young students. He worked at the Wall Street Journal, and he would go into classrooms and encourage teachers to use the journal in their curriculum. He founded the Waitsfield Summer School, and this was a program that was aimed at, like, children with learning challenges. And using, like, English curriculum made it experientially based and kind of, like, added gaming into the teaching of math to make it more accessible to students who had challenges learning the material, which I thought was just awesome. Oh, yeah. Wow. Later, he works for a famous Cambridge think tank, and they develop a role-playing game for the Edison Electric Institute. And it's a game where, like, the players have various roles in a community, and they all have a stake in the outcome, and they're trying to resolve the scarcity of electricity of resources. And this was really during, like, the 70s and the height of the energy crisis. And so, again, kind of using fun and role-playing and gaming to simulate a real-world environment. And he also designed numerous innovative role-playing programs for training Peace Corps volunteers, particularly around cultural awareness and sensitivity. Oh, my God. So this guy is just, like, obviously a lover of education. He's all in. Well, okay, I took the lazy way out on the author study, and there's just a bio about him in the back of every book with a nice headshot. Oh, yeah. And it's about a tenth of what you just read. (laughs) Um, And I was like, oh, I'm going to know so much for the episode. And you're like, poof, you met the guy and interviewed him. Shaboom. I'll just add a sentence, because I don't think this is spoiling anything, and this feels like the right time. 
But for a guy who authored, who concepted and authored so many stories, and each story branches so many times, you have to be a savant and have your thumb on a lot of different pulses. And his little bio at the back of the book does read, his interests included, as you've clearly pointed out, education, macroeconomics, geopolitics, mythology, history, mystery novels, and music. Mm. What a smorgasbord of culture to pull from for all these stories. I dare say a renaissance man. I do, and I feel like this is one of those times where it is accurately applied. Absolutely. No, he, he just seems like an amazing person. And, you know, in 1975, he co-founded the Vermont Crossroads Press with his first wife. And a couple of years later, that's when Ed Packard approached Montgomery about publishing his interactive children's book, Sugar Cane Island. And Montgomery really saw this for what it was. It was a role-playing game in book form. And he was just super jazzed to print this book. You know what I'm super jazzed about? What's that? You said first wife. Yes. Is there going to be some tasty, salty drama coming up here? Wow, you were just so ready for the scandal. You're ready for like... I don't think you're going to get any. There's no crazy scandals. I'm sorry. Oh my God. Did she choose the wrong ending? She chose the wrong thing. She may have. She may oh, have. No. When all is said and done, I don't know. We'd have to interview her and find out. But the cool thing okay. is, so again, he's jazzed about printing these, this book and this idea. And he was so confident about it that he said, hey, this is the first in a series of books entitled The Adventures of You. So not choose your own adventure, The Adventures of You. So here's where it gets into a little bit of the personal drama. He does divorce his first wife. And he sells his interest in the press that they co-founded, okay? But he brought The Adventures of You to Bantam Books in 1979, and Bantam offered him a contract for Journey Under the Sea, your book, Ben, and five other books at that time untitled. And they said, okay, we're going to rename the series Choose Your Own Adventure. So that's where the series gets its official and still to this day title. So what's really cool is Montgomery opts to not use ghostwriters. He wants to acknowledge every single author by his or her name, which at that time was actually very counter to standard publishing practices. And it really helped to launch a lot of careers for these young authors, which again, very cool. This is a guy who wants to like prop young people up, help them to succeed. And um, I just thought that was a real smooth move. I love that. No, he's definitely the Rafiki of young authors, just holding him up on Pride Rock to show, you know, right. who's next to take on the lineage. Da, 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 da. Yeah, absolutely. So the series of game books did not do very well at first. So this was not a smash hit out of the gate. And what happened was, and this is interesting, you said something earlier, Ben. So some genius in marketing had the idea, let's seed 100,000 books in libraries across the country. (gasps) That's why. That's why. And they said, like, right away, the books became hugely popular. So that was the piece that did it. They had to get them in the libraries, and that's where a lot of people got their introduction to these books. The kids loved it. So much so that the original series contains 184 books authored by 30 different authors. I feel like I've done nothing. It's insane, right? At all, with anything. God. 265 million books are in print, more than 40 languages, and it is the fourth best-selling children's series of all time, 
according to Wikipedia's list of best-selling book series. Wow. Any guesses on what might be numbers one through three? Oh, you're asking me. Well, yeah, four best-selling children's series of all time. I feel pretty confident I'm going to get two of them right. All right, this is great. I love it. I have some pretty strong confidence. No, actually, I think I can get all three. You can get to three. I'm going to say, like, maybe no surprises, but you can get there. Go, go for it. Boxcar Children is one. Actually, guess. no. What? No. Um, the Hardy Boys. No. What? I know, Fine, right? I'll go with the one that I was 100% confident on, which was Goosebumps. That's number two. Number two. 400 million books. Number one children's book series of all time. Okay, Harry Potter? 500 million books. Harry Potter, number one series. Which is also impressive because that's only, what, seven books? Whereas yeah. we're talking, what did I say, 184 books? Like, that's a bit of perspective for you. Okay, so Harry Potter, Goosebumps, but we're missing number three. It's not the Boxcar Children. It's not the Hardy Boys. Think a little bit older. Think of an older series to a younger audience. Let's put it that way. Comic strips don't count. No. Oh, Berenstein Bears. Berenstein Bears. Yeah. Number what three. What a great series. Yeah. So you got it. You got it. That was good. I feel good. I got one. That was like in our first episode, you were like, God, you were trying to make make me guess the dude from the luxury car commercials. Uh, (laughs) And you were like, true crime. Uh, You know, it's the true crime with the guy and the thing. I was like, I have no idea who you're talking about. And you still don't remember who it is. No. uh, I can picture him. I can hear his voice. You did a perfect (laughs) impression. He lives with you, right? He's in your apartment. I heard his voice last time. Hey, Matthew McConaughey. Come here for a second, buddy. Matthew (laughs) McConaughey. Dang it. Still very impressive to be the fourth best-selling children's series of all time. That's impressive. And again, this was a unique series because you were the hero of the story and make choices that leads to multiple endings in every book. And the themes are across the board. Swashbuckling adventure, travel, mystery, fantasy, world culture, ancient civilizations, scary creatures, space, and tons more. And I didn't know this, but there are numerous recurring characters throughout the series. So some characters show up again, which I thought was really cool. I didn't realize there was a bit of a universe or a continuity to it. Yeah, unless you don't pick the path in that book that introduces that character and 13 books later, you're like, who is Jim? Why does everybody know Jim and they're super into his stuff? Yeah, we're going to talk about some of those branches because, oh man, yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. So just a few more things I do want to mention about Mr. Montgomery in the series before we take this all to chemistry because we got to dive in. Beautiful. Like I said, Bantam Books had this series for a long time. And in 2003, Montgomery co-founded Choose Co. LLC in an effort to relaunch the series. He continued to actually write these books throughout his career. And he did the last one before he died in 2014. And as I said, the great thing about this guy, he was obviously passionate about education. And he really felt that interactive fiction was critical to what was called reluctant readers and really helping them to achieve reading fluency, which he said is the final stage of achieving true literacy. And he thus felt it was imperative to keep the books in print. Absolutely amazing. For those of you who don't have a portrait of Montgomery on your wall, get on board. What's wrong with you? Get it now. I have two little history things, if that's okay. Before Yes, please. Please do. They're very minor compared to what you have, but I just wanted to point them out. 
These are reissued copies that you bought that we have, so they're not original print. They do say Chuzco on the back with this cool dragon logo. That's right. And in the back, they have a, a timeline of the Choose Your Own Adventure series. And I just want to hit the quick high notes of the 80s, since that's our podcast. Yes, please. Uh, so 83, year before my birth, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure sales reached 10 million units uh, of just the first 14 titles. So, like you said, move and pulp, I think is what they used to say. Just move and pulp. Absolutely. The year of my birth, 1984, the following year, for a six-week period, nine spots of the top 15 books on the Walden Books children's bestsellers list belong to Choose Your Own Adventure. Wow. Nine of 15. Very impressive. Choose Your Own Adventure dominates that list throughout the entire 1980s. That's wow. what this says. And last but not least, 1989, right before we leave the 80s, 10 years after its original publication, over 150 Choose Your Own Adventure titles have been published. Now, this is not what this podcast is about, but I have written a few books on the side. It took me in a decade, in the same amount of time, (laughs) I wrote three books. And Montgomery cranked out 150 with all of his other ghostwriters he's promoted. I was going to say, it wasn't all him, but that guy is very prolific in this series. And I didn't find out how many of those 184 that he wrote, but it is a significant number. The dude is extremely prolific. And we're going to talk again about six of those when we get to uh, to chemistry class. Oh, yeah. One thing to close, which was how you let up. So the year I only learned because of what you just taught me, the year before he died, here's a quote from Mr. Montgomery himself. This is great. This wasn't traditional literature. The New York Times children's book reviewer called Choose Your Own Adventure a literary movement. Indeed, it was. The most important thing for me has always been to get kids reading. It's not the format. It's not even the writing. The reading happened because kids were in the driver's seat. They were the mountain climber. They were the doctor. They were the deep sea explorer. They made choices, and so they read. There were people who expressed the feeling that nonlinear literature wasn't normal. But interactive books have a long history going back 70 years. He did all this work, but he also believes in it deeply to his yeah. soul. He wasn't just a, like a sellout, like, I know this is a cash cow. This guy, walk the walk, talk the talk. We are not worthy. That's all I've got on history. I think it's time for us to choose a future path and we get to choose. Okay, Chris, what class should we go to? Is next period, do we don the shorty shorts and the stinky shirt we haven't? washed in months and go to gym class or do we put on safety goggles lab coats and stroll down the hallway to chemistry i will do everything in my absolute power to avoid gym class as i did in my younger days more (laughs) importantly i want to get into this topic so hands down we're going to chemistry class ring that bell okay we are in chemistry class we are here to talk about all of the things that we pile into this, what is it, a, a beaker or a cauldron? We're just going to pour all of these elements and cauldron. solutions. What year did you go to high school? Cauldron? I went to school at Hogwarts, of course. Oh, you're we on the Harry had, Potter. Like, okay, had, this is potions class. <laughs> okay. Of course. <laughs> what are those things called? They're beakers, vats. Uh, sure, vat. Graduate Flask. cylinders, flask. Okay, so... Just a couple other things I wanted to mention about these books. We mentioned multiple endings, sometimes upwards of 40. There's, in each book, at least one highly desirable resolution or ending. And these often uh, end with a reward, sometimes even a monetary reward. 
and there are endings that result in the death of you, your companions, or both. These are kids' books, but they are not for the faint of heart. You <laughs> can die. You can also be trapped, stuck, or forever transformed. I am going to suggest, and we're going to get to a specific example, that there are fates worse than death in these books. Oh, for and sure. They oh, for sure. Haunt me more than when it's like you have a heart attack and die. Be like, thank God, because that last ending I read terrifies me still. What would it be like for you to read these books with on constant loop in the background the unsolved mysteries theme? I mean, that is the that is the perfect pairing of a sort of jigsaw saw movie sequel. No, absolutely. But here's the thing. Mentioning oh. Unsolved Mysteries real fast. I So similar, when we talked about Unsolved Mysteries, I told you that I had forgotten about all the good stuff, like that there were treasure hunts and yeah. like alien sightings and things like that. I only remembered the children abductions was the only <laughs> thing I remember. And murder. <laughs> yeah. And with uh, Choose Your Own Adventure... I forgot that there were good endings. I only remembered <laughs> here are here it's like that it's like that London PSA from the 90s like 100 ways to die or whatever on the tube. Like it's it it's oh like God. I thought it was just like here's 50 ways that you can die. Have a great time reading. Ben, it's not choose your own demise. It's choose your own adventure. <laughs> good lord. Apparently all my guy. childhood adventures ended in death. It's you it's are all... scarred so badly. Yeah, oh it's all God. stand by me for me growing up. There's always oh, a dead goodness. body at the end. So there was a high, highly desirable resolution or ending. There's also Good. a lot of satisfactory, but not most desired, or unsatisfactory, but not totally bad endings. I'm glad some people found those. That's cool. I'm glad right. some people got to read those endings. Right. And perhaps remember them as well. <laughs> and another interesting fact is that occasionally some of the choices will throw the reader into a loop where they repeat back to the same page, and you get stuck. So there's some of these books, I don't know if you had one of these, Ben, where you can just basically be in a time loop. Again, kind of terrifying. Another interesting piece is as the series progressed, the length of the plots increased, and therefore, as a result, decreased the number of endings. So what you find in some of these later books is you don't have 40 endings, but you have longer sort of plot threads before you get to your choices. Uh, again, with fewer results, which I thought was interesting because some of these, as we'll probably talk about, just kind of end. Like you make a choice and then there's like a short paragraph where it's like, you're done. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you're done. All right. You're done. And again, the earliest books contain nearly 40 possible endings while later titles had as few as eight. So they really did kind of change it. And the cool thing is, if you love beautiful visualizations, you can see a visualized story structure of Choose Your Own Adventure at a website, which we'll drop in the show notes. So there's a cool way, place where you can go and actually see like data visualization, which is great. Well, and not just the website. Have you looked at the back of the, your three books? There is on the very back cover of these new reprints by ChooseCo. They show like a little map of the story, the choices, and the variety of outcomes, which I thought was cool. Yeah, it's like a little fishbone decision tree. Well, so that's on the back. And on the front, mine say how many different endings there are. So you said nearly the first book, Journey Under the Sea, says choose from 42 endings. That's a lot of endings. Yeah. The other one's uh, Nabuti is 38 and the Abominable Snowman's 28. It's a lot. The other thing I thought was interesting, we've, we've made a parallel to Unsolved Mysteries uh, in episode two. And what I thought was cool is you were like, hey, I want to read this boilerplate language before the show starts. And each of these books has a boilerplate introduction, which I thought was cool. They start off with beware and warning. This book is different 
from other books. You and you alone are in charge of what happens in this story. There are dangers, choices, adventures, and consequences. You must use all of your numerous talents and much of your enormous intelligence. The wrong decision could end in disaster, even death. But don't despair. At any time, you can go back and make another choice, alter the path of your story, and change its results. And then it kind of goes into what you would normally see in a book on the inside cover of the back, like a synopsis of the book and what you would expect. And those are different for each book. So I thought that was kind of cool. And it very much looks like the Star Wars introduction text sort of floating in. It's got that like narrowing in the distance sort of look to it. I like how you're approaching it because I'm I'm cracking this apart like a nut because there's so much in the shell of this book before we get into the stories themselves. I I love how you're just slowly getting deeper into the book. So a couple more things is the there's a feel to this book that feels familiar. If I was Mm. blindfolded and you put a choose your own adventure in my hand, there's a size to this book. There's a light weightedness to them. They're not necessarily a tiny book. I don't know if it's about the paper or the thickness of the cover, but there's there's a weight to it that is so familiar. And the covers, if you have terrible vision, you could see this cover from across the room and be like, that's a choose your own adventure. Mm. It's just how the framing, it's the art style, it's the font. And of course, like there's that super iconic, bold, white, choose your own adventure at the top and that big red circle that is so recognizable. Yeah, they, they kind of have that look. Like you said, I love that. It's across the room and you could spot it a mile away and be like, wait a minute. I think yeah. that's a choose your own adventure book. Right. And uh, the last thing, you know, in the, in the back of the book, there are these two things that I don't remember. I mean, maybe this is one of the things you can remember if this is true to fate or not. But again, okay. Montgomery's a huge educator. And so in the back of each one of these books is at least one page of straight up education about the main theme in the book. So like in My Abominable Snowman... There's a, just a page that talks about the five highest peaks in the world, the mountain peaks, and what they're all about. Uh, in the back of Journey to the Sea, there's like two pages about underwater life and the different depths and what lives at those different depths in the ocean. So like education is back there. And then in two of these, there's a quiz that's about the narrative that you can only get 100% on if you do all the different endings. Oh, wow. Which was, I don't remember that, but it's really interesting. There's so much education packed into this little book. It's great. And it does it in a very accessible way where it's like you almost you do want to learn it. I want to ask you, what did you feel about these books? I loved it. They were all very different stories. They all started in very different places. I do like all three are like, bam, action. Like there's no soft lead up. There's not a lot of building Mm. of setting. It's like you are here. It's going down. This is what's up. What do you do? Yeah. Um, which like really grips you right away. It really pulls you into the story, which is really fun. Yeah. I do note I'm easily irritable trying to read one of these books because I'm really enjoying it. And there's like, it feels, although there's nothing on the line, you're reading a book, no risk, no pressure, no winning or losing. But I am trying to calculate in my brain what the right choices are. Mm. What, like in my head, what a, what a right choice means, which we can argue about later, which right. is interesting. But I'm trying to remember what I did, who was introduced last, what the details were. I'm trying to make it. And man, every time I got asked something or my phone buzzed or like I heard a truck go by outside, I was like, everyone needs to be quiet because I could die in four pages. Yeah. How dare you distract me from the task at hand? 
And this is me as, I mean, these are targeted as, like as, as pre-teens, young teens. And this was, I'm a 36-year-old man that I'm like, everyone shut up. Right. I need to decide if I'm going up the mountain with Steve or if right. I'm going to go by the tracking radio they recommended. So I shared some of that same frustration, perhaps for a different reason, though. While I love the conceit of having the different endings, the loose threads and the loose plot points really bothered me. And having to flip back and forth became an exercise in frustration. I just wanted to know all the results. And I hated when I was so many branches behind that I felt like I was lost and I wouldn't remember everything. And so I had my fingers in like multiple pages to try to hold my spot. So if I go to a dead end, I could then look at that branch. Like I wanted to experience all 36 of these endings and it drove me bonkers that I felt like I missed even one of them. No, I have a huge empathy there, and I, I really wanted to talk about that, is there's a real tactile, physical experience of reading a choose-your-adventure that's different than any other book, where as I read, I'm running out of fingers on my left hand <laughs> because right. I'm marking where all of my decision points were so that when I screw something up, I want to go back and make the other decision. And so if the other decision is wrong, then I want to go two fingers back and go to that tree and see if I can go farther. And it's just a real strange thing to be sitting there with this book in your hand that's small, and your fingers are all over the place, and you're trying to remember everything. Like, it's a very physical experience reading this book. Yeah. Sometimes I felt like to its own detriment. We can talk more about that at the end. But yeah. I will say one thing. The first book I read was Mystery of the Maya. It's the first one I picked up. And my job was to, there's something up with my friend Tom, and I had to go figure out what's going on. I'm going to tell you this much. Okay. If you ever go missing... Don't write to me because I will never find you. If this book is any guide, I swear I read through multiple times. I don't know if I ever found Tom the right way, the proper way. (laughs) I, uh, because like you, I wanted to make like the right choice, air quotes, right? Like I feel like I'm an adult. I can beat this book. I'm going to find the correct path to get to that highly desirable ending and I'm going to win the book. Well, I'm here to tell you if finding and saving your best friend, Tom is any indication that you got to the right place. I failed miserably. (laughs) Well, and I got to give you credit. I think we're right on the same page of my, you know, my goal is once I finally learned there were good results, I wanted whatever the best ending was. I wanted to find out, like, you become god of the world. You're, you are king of all of this land or whatever. Right. But from what I'm hearing, you have a lot more endurance than I do. Where I probably gave each book 20 to 30 minutes, which is enough time to give you, I don't know, six or seven tries at it. Sure. But after 20 minutes, I was like, I've died in six horrific ways. <laughs> And like, again, for a kid's book, it's not like, oh, you messed up and you drank the poison. Like, oh, I'm sorry, your hamburger meat and the tribe of cannibals have eaten you in front of your family. Like, there are some dark endings in some of these books. And after six of those, I'm like, I think I'm good. I'm going to move on to the next book. I think I'm done trying to find the perfect one. I don't know if it's because I was a kid or if it was the 80s where we had less things to sort of use our time. I remember going back through that Bigfoot book. So many times. Yeah. And I had a patience that maybe I don't have now. Plus, I knew I wanted to do my homework for this show. And I wanted it to be like as thorough as possible. But, you know, in doing the math, that would be for me over 100 endings I would have to read between these three books. You know, I'm not the fastest reader. And that's just these are not, of course, 
difficult or long books, but that's a lot of commitment. Did you notice any recurring themes across your three books? So it's funny you say that. Uh, You've already said one. Two of my three books is like, you've got a note from a friend from a while back you haven't seen in a while. And they're like, hey, come here on this adventure. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, do you go or do you not? And I love one of the books was like, I choose not to. And it's like, you sit at home in the peacefulness of your house and always wonder what could have been. The end. Like, <laughs> That's just it. I was like, you snarky SOB. Look at you just You do not take out. the hero's call to adventure. You're just like, I'm going to sit on the couch. And it's like, yeah. you're done. There's no choices after that. It was awesome. I thought That's that was hilarious. pretty funny, actually. That's very But uh, yeah, the whole like mysterious letter from a close contact who yep. is in trouble or needs your help in finding something. Do you go? That's a big that one. That was common. Anything else? I would say at the other end of the spectrum, it's not a common theme, but it's a common outcome besides death, uh, are just like absolutely bananas endings. Like stuff that has nothing to do with the story on the cover in any, well, in Montgomery's conceivable way, but not in every other person's conceivable way has anything to do with what you've been reading about. Right. That blew my mind. So crazy outcomes friend writes you a letter and the other is like and maybe it's just me i'm a bad reader the complete inability to guess what the correct choice to stay alive is i see there were so many times where i got through a decision tree and it's like do you take the med kit and administer the medicine you certainly definitely need to survive for the next page or do you swallow the sword while parachuting right i'm like oh i'm gonna take the medicine and it's like haha the medicine was expired and you're dead yeah what But the sword somehow manages to sustain you in the fall and yeah, Yeah, it's used as a key to an ancient relic. Yeah, exactly. I could never consistently guess the healthy outcome. I will say this. I I think that's our problem is we're assuming that there's not a random chance factor or that one of these is desirable and one is undesirable on its face, right? Yeah. Um, Because I definitely had that experience as well. I think each of these books for me had time travel. Did you have any time travel on your books? So, yes. Journey Under the Sea had both space, time, and dimensional travel. And I just want to point out the cover is a submarine in the water with an octopus tentacle. And it has space, time, and dimensional travel in it. Yes. Uh, And as a scuba diver, I have spent some time underwater. There's time, because you're under there for 40 minutes and you run out of oxygen, you got to come back up to the top. There's no dimensional or space reverse time travel happening. Not yet. Not yet. You don't have that many hours of diving. Like, if you had more. Right. right. I mean, James Cameron with Challenge you know, Challenge Deep went down to Marriott Trench and nobody... I, I heard the camera blacked out for a little while. I don't know what he did down there. We're going to find out in Avatar 3. Yeah, right? I'm just saying he came back up and there's five more avatars. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah. You tell me what happened. Right. So those were consistent. I will say this much. This was another thing. Yeah. So I want to tell you... About what I believe is the most terrifying ending of any of these stories. Oh, so good. Okay, this is also again from Mystery of the Maya. So I make a choice and it says, One day a strange thing happens. Just as you are putting out to sea, a lookout shouts, A mountain, a white mountain, a volcano is moving on the water. He waves and shouts frantically. There on the horizon is a large white passenger ship. Smoke is pouring out of its funnels. It is flying the Swedish flag. As it comes closer, you see people lining the deck, waving and taking pictures. You, your ship, and your friends are caught in a time warp. 
where parallel lines cross in space and time flip-flops back and forth. Now you are in the present, but aboard your ancient craft. The other ship is a cruise ship loaded with tourists. They look at you with amusement, thinking you are just some local fisherman in a funny boat. When you try to talk to them, your voices fall into a void. (gasps) The time warp is only a visual warp. There is no way out of it. You are locked in a fixed time and a fixed space. For eternity, you ride the waves in a Mayan boat. What? Just cut my head off. Like, let me run into a Mayan priest who wants to do a blood sacrifice. Also happens in these books. Or it's the future or the current time and you get caught by the Mexican military and they put you in jail forever. Or you spend a life in, like, labor, basically, in a prison. But do not put me in a fixed time and space, endless loop where I am neither here nor there. I'm not in the past. I'm not in the present. No one can hear me. And I'm just, that is terrifying. No, that's, that's absolutely horrifying. And that actually, oh my God. Up, that was a similar path in Journey Under the Sea. Like I said, there's a little bit of that there where you're like, <sighs> you have the option to just travel through time and space in this tunnel forever, observing the world, or you're observing the universe. And sometimes that ends badly. You get trapped and sometimes you can get out and go home. Yeah, that's very upsetting. Super upsetting. So I have two questions for you. Okay. One, speaking of all these variety of outcomes, have you ever been tempted or have you executed flipping through the book to look at the illustrations at any time? Like purposefully? Yes. No. Okay. After dying six or seven times horrifically, <laughs> I did. A li- I cheated. I cheated. It's like looking up a YouTube video of a game playthrough these days. I flipped through to look at the illustrations to just have my mind blown. To be like, how that picture, how does that possibly Mm. happen in this storyline? No way. It was intriguing on one hand to be like, I'm interested how Montgomery got us to this result. Uh, But I was also at that time so defeated that I was like, I kind of don't care to read to find out how I get there. But fascinating that they got there. I will say, similarly to that, not with the pictures, but the endings, I did toward... Because most of the endings happen to be toward the end of the book. Not always, but there are more there. And so what I did find myself doing, particularly on the books that I didn't like as much and kind of lost my patience, is I was flipping through to read the different endings. So similarly, I wasn't going by the pictures, but just I wanted to see what some of the outcomes were. So I had that same fascination. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And great segue into my next question. My only other question for you. All right. And this is another how do you feel kind of question. So you, okay. you're, you're reading the book. You're early on in the book. You're in the first 10 pages. You come to a decision tree. And it says for decision A, flip two pages. For decision B, flip 20 pages. Right. Do you have an emotional reaction to this book when you have to choose between advancing just a couple of pages in the book or having to jump like 20 or 30 pages in the book? Not necessarily. I didn't read it too much into that. What I will say, though, is when you get to a branch where the choices are one page apart, I felt good because I knew I could look at both. And if I saw one of them had a the end at the end of it, I would read that one first. And then I would read the other one. And if it continued on, then I knew, okay, I settled at least one branch to its conclusion. That's brilliant. I should have done that. That makes so much sense. So again, not exactly your experience, but there was some anxiety or non-anxiety when I was like, okay, good. These endings are right next to each other. But when they weren't, I was like, oh, crap. That probably means I'm going to branch off in multiple directions yet again. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shard Trace. Okay, that's good to know. So that being said, Journey Under the Sea, 42 different endings. It's a lot. And just based on my experience with this book, I curled up in in our big reading chair, very comfortable, had a proper cup of tea. And I'm pretty confident 87% of them end in horrific graphic demise. Um, I didn't try them all, but just just out of a random sample. Yep. But in one of those, I actually got something really nice. And this was my, like, I didn't know it could end well. I forgot that they could end well. All right. The book is generally, at least the threads that I went down, are generally about trying to find the lost city of Atlantis. Okay. I can't say that's the whole book, but the threads I went down tended to be about that. Right. So this is, uh, I made it pretty deep in the book. This is page 80 out of 116. As far as I feel, I made it pretty far. Uh, An advisor to a king. What a chance. Maybe the king has ruled so long that he is out of touch with the people. Perhaps as his advisor, you can help the people get what they want. You don't believe that people are lazy and selfish. The king just needs a new point of view. You are appointed the king's special advisor on problems of research on food and shelter. You immediately call general meetings of all the people to discuss the food program and the work schedules. The king is so glad to have someone else take over the problems that he leaves it in your hands entirely. He gives you land and a large salary. You set up new programs and schedule the people and the planning work. You listen to their complaints and their ideas. Life under the sea is rich and full. The people are hardworking and good. It was a wise decision to remain. So you become the king of Atlantis. I think you reached the best ending. It sounds pretty good. And there's even like a little sketch here of me wearing a seahorse helmet on a throne. I do have flipper feet, though, and I feel like they left that out of this me turning into a fishman. But I've got a great beard and gills on my neck, I see. And that, but that also leads me to another really interesting result is there are themes in this, too, of adult distrust. I feel mm-hmm. like there was a lot of like not sure which adults are good or bad. Yeah. Thank you, Unsolved Mysteries. And also, there are so many results. Okay, this is psychologically interesting. There were so many results that I felt were good endings that were about you leaving your life behind. Yeah. That you now entered this new world and you had a new purpose in this completely fantastical world. And you were like, yeah, I'm not going back to Indiana or Ohio, my suburb. This is where I live now. Right. Which is interesting. This escapism, permanent escapism. I remember a similar one in the the Maya book where it's like you go back in time and you just stay there. Whereas in other ones, you get pulled out of time or the potion that you take that allows you to time travel wears off and you sort of fade back into current time. But in one of them, you just stay there and it's not a bad ending. You just you help run the civilization. You can tell a lot of thought and care went into it. And there's some other things I want to say, but I think I want to save it for next class because we're yeah. going to get into contemporary culture. But I always want to jump the gun and go to third period. Do we go straight to third period or do we choose to take a break and hit lunch? I will choose uh, to go to page 46 and eat some of that sweet, sweet Freddy Krueger faced pizza. That sounds great for lunch. (laughs) All right. We'll catch you guys after. Hi, my name is Teddy Ruxpin. I want you to meet my friend. <laughs> Teddy Ruxpin's friends are found only in the world of Teddy Ruxpin's storybook cassettes. I said in the storybook cassettes. 
Oh, man. I don't know where to begin in this one, Ben. The impact on current culture of choose your own adventure. You-centered choices, obviously a big piece of this. And it's funny because I really emphasized that in the Unsolved Mysteries episode. And this was yet another sort of call to you in a different way. But this perspective has been cited as an influence in tons of games and media that has followed. As a matter of fact, it was actually credited with a resurgence of popularity with role-playing games, including D&D, which again, after school today, you can join Mike Wheeler in the AB Club. I did, <laughs> I did see, I did have to go clarify, it came out four years before the first Choose Your Adventure, at least my book that came out. Now, Wait, you which, had a different what one. did? D&D was invented. Wait, I thought it was older than that. It might be, but it, it at least predates Choose Your Own Adventure. Wow. I feel like it existed since dragons and sorcerers were alive. Right, which we've sat, we've seen the fossils of. You can go see dragon fossils in your local natural history. And museum. wizard fossils. And <laughs> <laughs> barbarian fossils. Like, you can see it all. Wizard fossils. <laughs> oh, that's good. If we look at games, right? Telltale Games. Oh, yeah. Is a company that pioneered a lot of these storytelling-based games. And... Most notably, Walking Dead had a branching set of dialogue trees or quick time events that would then affect later parts of the episode. So your choices had consequences and all that kind of stuff, which is really cool. Mass Effect 2, a game I haven't played, but it directly credits actually Choose Your Own Adventure as an inspiration. It is the Christmas season and you can picture National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation And he's working on this new type of lubricant that he puts on the bottom of the metal saucer and he flies down the hill and it's so fast it like sparks and he, that's how fast you're going through this. And I feel like just slow down a second. There's so much to talk about. You are jumping decades into the future. I'm sorry. There's just so much here. Okay. Let's, let's wind it back a little bit. Just a couple breaths here. Okay. And I'll, I'll bring it back around to Mass Effect. Okay. Wikipedia lists hundreds of interactive movies starting in 1967. Which is amazing. Crazy. That's a little before this all got off the ground. But um, literally the first movie that it lists in 67 is, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, but it's like Kino, the Kino Automat. World's first interactive movie. The movie we playing, a moderator comes out on stage. The movie stops. He pulls the audience on what they want to do next. And then they cut a different ream of the film and play whatever the audience voted on. They do that several times in the production. Wow. I had no idea that was a thing. I actually missed that in my research. That's cool. Oh my God. Now this isn't exactly the same because there's, it's a little bit of random chance, but the movie Clue, which I think you're a big fan of, right? I love Clue. We're obviously going to talk about it on the show. It's definitely one I mentioned. Not necessarily random chance, but can be. Go ahead. So Clue when it first came out in theaters, it had three different endings. Yep. But they randomly distributed which endings went to which theaters. So if you were a diehard fan and you wanted to see all different endings, you had to figure out which theaters were running Rich Cut and then go see it at three different theaters. Yep. It's more of like the multi-ending sort of thing. When this was shown on television for the longest time, they just did all three endings on there. Yeah. They kind of did a super cut where it's all three of them. It's like, maybe this happens. Maybe this happens. The cool thing was you do get a choice back when the DVD and Blu-ray versions come out. Because there, at the beginning of the movie, you can choose from one random ending 
or the supercut ending. Oh, okay. So you can choose if you want to get one of the randoms or you want to see all three, which is really cool. And I'm glad they added that back in to give you some of that choice. That's oh, that yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so then catching up, my favorite video game series of all time is Mass Effect. Okay. And there's going to be some haters on this podcast. There was a lot of controversy around uh, the third one, which I'll mention to you in a sec. And everybody hated the latest one, Andromeda, which I thought was fantastic. I, lo- I love them all. And for those who've never played the game series, the game series is largely um, space future science fiction. You are you start out by picking your uh, gender. You can highly customize your person. And you are the commander on a ship. You're Commander Shepard. And there's a big end of galaxy event potentially coming. And you travel around the galaxy basically recruiting these different races, trying to be largely a diplomat trying to make peace with these races so they'll give you someone you need on your ship and some combat. But the game is peppered with a lot of dialogue. It's really dialogue heavy and you get these choices in the dialogue. And the choices you make in these dialogue trees may affect your gameplay in 60 hours, in 70 hours. It may kill someone on your team. It may get you a bonus you need. I mean, massively different results as you go through it. And what's just funny is interesting. You and I, you know, I, I lamented how much I hated dying so often in these books. Right. In Mass Effect 3, which is kind of the culmination of the trilogy, there were three endings, and generally people didn't like the three options they were given, the different results, mm. them having been so intimate with the protagonists and the characters for what would amount to pff, 400 hours of video game play over a trilogy. Right. Where, like, I know these characters so well, they would do this if this was their choice, but it's not an option at the end. Which I just thought was interesting that, you know, these authors work so hard to give all these endings that are plausible. And even you as the reader, the audience feel this sort of entitlement that you know better than the author what the outcome should be. It can definitely have that reverse effect where you think giving the choice is going to actually heighten it. And sometimes it creates a little bit of that controversy or that struggle between the creator and the participant. I'm all caught up now, by the way. I feel better now. Everything I've got, okay. <laughs> everything else I have is in the last two years. So I'm all caught up. In recent times, Star Wars games have been very big about this. Like you can make choices in some of these games that lead either to the light mm. side or the dark side of the force. So you're somebody who's developing force powers and you can kind of go the Jedi route or the Sith route. Uh, we've seen that a lot. I don't remember which first game pioneered that. I know Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy mm. uh, was a big one for that. I think Fallen Order, the current one does. There's several. So games, obviously, tons of this because it's so easy to build into a game. Other media, I think with like books and storytelling, the internet really brought about a lot of that because then you could have like a website where you could have hyperlinks to different endings. So Ben and I talked about thumbing through these books. Well, if you have these different branches and say an e-reader or on a tablet or other device, the mechanics are behind the scenes. So that's really cool. I do want to go back to one movie, though, which is the movie Big. You've seen the movie Big, right? I love Big. Big is amazing. Tom Hanks. America's sweetheart. He's Josh, and he becomes an adult, and he starts working at a game company. Do you remember what he and uh, his coworker are pitching to the big boss as this, like, revolutionary idea in storytelling and comic books specifically? Oh, crap. All I remember from the toy playtesting, it's a great movie. I want to watch it again. But just like when his arch nemesis in there. Kevin McAllister's father. Oh, yeah. That's Mr. McAllister. He like pitches a building that turns into a robot. (laughs) 
and, and Tom Hanks is like, I don't get it. And he's like, I don't get it. He's like, yeah, what's fun about a building? I don't get it. I don't get it. Right. Whatever. He's like, <laughs> right, right. So good. Kevin McAllister's dad, great A jerk. What do they pitch? What's the thing? So the thing that they pitch is a comic book where you buy different cartridges that allow you to have different oh. endings and branches to the story. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. basically taking Choose Your Own Adventure and you have to imagine they're like, ooh, we could do this in a comic book and have these cartridges. You know that that had to have an effect on that part of the storyline, oh, which I thought God. was really cool. What a great memory or refine. However you came about that, that's a great call out. That's perfect. So what I want to talk about is the Choose Your Own Adventure brand actually expanded its platforms. So they teamed up with Audible and Amazon Alexa to create an ultimate immersive reading experience. So you could say Alexa, open Choose Your Own Adventure from Audible. Half of our listeners' Alexas just lit up and are now talking over this podcast. Yeah, sorry. Because you said, hey, Alexa. Sorry, Alexa. Hey, Siri. <laughs> hey, Google. <laughs> no one's going to listen to this ever again. Oh, my, my it just talked in your background. <laughs> it just heard you. Your phone got you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, my God. That was great. <sighs> There's a Choose Your Own Adventure board game by Z-Man Games. And apparently... There's a Choose Your Own Adventure movie in development at Fox Films. I don't know the current status of that. I think now that they're under this Choose Co. label, they're looking to kind of expand the brand, which goes into our last piece. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a real soft intro, but I'm going to let you really tee this thing up. So lots of streaming services these days. Mm -hmm. And Netflix has about a dozen what they call interactive shows. Just from my like cursory overview, they mostly look like they're for kids. It's like... Animated children's programming. Mm. So you've got Stretch Armstrong, The Breakout, Minecraft, Story Mode, Puss in Boots, Trapped in an Epic Tale. Uh, and actually, I would kind of want to watch this. Carmen San Diego, To Steal or Not to Steal. Ooh, that sounds fun. But you know, that's not Netflix's claim to fame for the Choose Your Own Adventure. Another one uh, from a show I like, they actually did a movie for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where they had a Choose Your Own Adventure movie to follow the four seasons of the series. But of course, I think we all know Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch. Yeah, so Bandersnatch was basically you take this concept of Choose Your Own Adventure and you apply it to streaming service where... In the middle of the story, it says, what do you want the character to do? And you make your choice and it goes down a branch and you can follow it to a dead end. And then you have to go back and see some of the other endings. So yes. it does kind of help guide you through those branching story elements that you passed up. So you can go and satisfy, like me as a completionist, you want your full curiosity satisfied. You want to see all the endings. And for those of you who don't have Netflix, who have not gotten into Black Mirror, or maybe just didn't get around to Bandersnatch. So it's set in 1984, and uh, the main protagonist is this kind of late teenager kid who is sort of a video game prodigy. And he's mm. obsessed with this book series that is is sort of a, a fantasy novelization of largely getting lost in a dungeon. Mm. The guy is hired to work on another video game, but this is really his passion project, is making this book into a video game. And Black Mirror as a series is largely a cautionary tale of future and technology and society. It usually ends really darkly. <laughs> Here's how Siri is going to kill us all kind of thing is kind of how Black Mirror right. works. And so this programmer starts to lose touch with reality. And you are trying to 
assist or not, depending on how evil and cruel you are in your heart, as he tries to navigate the real world. Absolutely. Here is a question. Did you watch Bandersnatch or did you play Bandersnatch? I would say I watched it. Um, And I think I satisfied my curiosity and went down pretty much every branch of the story possible. I'm fairly certain of it. Again, much like this series, there are good endings. There are bad endings. There are abrupt, perhaps unsatisfying endings. And there are others that are abrupt and perhaps somewhat satisfactory. It almost is like if you take that book, you put it into streaming service, and here it is. So almost to the day from when we're recording this, it came out two years ago, December 28th, oh, okay. 2018. How did you feel about the execution of it? So I probably saw it two years ago. So it has been a while. I, I think it's like these books. It was an interesting concept. I thought it was cool. I didn't love it. I never went back to it. And much like these books, once you kind of explore everything, you've sort of done it. You know, I've experienced it for what it is. I've seen all the branches. I'm good. Yeah, I found it, uh, and this is more of a technical problem, I found it remarkably frustrating because we were watching Mm. it through the Netflix app on my Xbox, and the Xbox controller, after a certain amount of time, goes to sleep if you're not pressing the button. And so a prompt would come up of like, what are you going to do? And oh my God, my controller was asleep. So I'd hit the button and it's trying to wake up and there's a little hourglass going down on the screen of when you have to make your choice. Yeah, it doesn't give you much time. Right. So my controller would have woken up and then it makes the choice for me. So that was just, it was very difficult to actually finish watching the series Mm. because I couldn't make decisions I wanted to make in time. So I had to keep like randomly hitting buttons that wouldn't stop the show just to keep the remote awake. And similar to Choose Your Own Adventure, I could not get a friendly outcome. It's Black Mirror, though. And that's the thing. It's Black Mirror, right? No episode of Black Mirror (laughs) ends well. As you said, very dystopian. I think a Black Mirror episode on its own is like normally like an hour almost or 45 minutes or something. And I had spent like three hours with this thing. And I was so upset that like nothing good was coming ever that I was just like, okay, I'm done. I think I get it. I'll go look up online what the other outcomes were. It's not without its frustrations. And it's interesting because you would think with streaming, it would actually be easier because you're not... You don't have all your fingers in different pages trying to remember the branches. It's like, well, it's going to do the dirty work for me. But conceptually, it was really cool. And we now have a platform where we're able to see movies in the same ways that we could experience video games or read books and so forth. Yeah. So as I mentioned, here's the big reveal. If you don't already know, there's a great reason why Bandersnatch seems like it's a choose-your-own-adventure story. So much so that ChooseCo sued Netflix, basically (laughs) claiming that Black Mirror Interactive Film violated its trademark rights after a years-long licensing negotiation between the two companies reached a dead end. So basically, Netflix and Chusco were kind of in discussion to be like, hey, let's uh, adapt a thing. And they didn't go anywhere. And then Netflix releases Bandersnatch. And Chusco's like, uh, yeah, you stole our shtick, and we're going to come get you. How much money did they want in damages? How much has it been? $25 million. Not chump change. Not chump change at all. And you can see, like, Netflix makes arguments for why it is a different type of experience. And so you can go online and read all that stuff. But arguably, one of their big things, which is central to the Choose Your Own Adventure, is they say, hey, this isn't a story about you. This is a story about a character. You're helping that character make choices, but you are not the person in there. But yeah, that was... Shocking. I had not heard that uh, until doing the research. And do you know how this legal adventure ends? Has it ended? I thought it was still sort of... I know that Netflix... 
they tried to stop it and it was denied, right? It ended three weeks ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Late breaking news, folks. Okay. What happened? November 2020, Netflix got to the page that said, (laughs) do you choose to continue to fight this battle in court and burn all your money on legal fees? Or do you settle out of court with ChooseCo for undisclosed remuneration? I'm going to say they settled out of court. They settled out of court. That was smart. Yeah. Wow. I think we have to move on to the final period to run the math and see how this holds up. Let's crunch those numbers, buddy. Okay, it's math class. Does this still add up to this day? We've talked about our joys and frustrations, our enthusiasms, and our nightmares, I guess. The nightmares of the time warp ending that you never escape. Thoughts, Ben? Do you think this still stands the test of time? It's left a mark. Obviously, it's influenced a lot of culture. So it has that lasting influence, if nothing else. The books themselves, though, what do we think? So I'm, I'm a little divided. I think, obviously, the idea of choice holds up. Being able to choose your own path as the protagonist. I mean, the video game industry is one of the largest industries of any product or service in the world. Um, Absolutely. And for good reason, because many of these, especially these role-playing games, these RPGs or MMORPGs, these massive multiplayer online RPGs, they are hundreds of billion dollar industry uh, because people love that empowerment and that storytelling. So I feel like the mechanic holds up real well. Mm-hmm. Um, the books, you know, it's interesting because this series is still going on right now. You know, this yeah. is, doesn't have to be totally retrospective. They are cranking out new stories today yep. for today's young readers. And we did not have any children to interview for this or young teens to ask what they thought. You know, I'm trying to pull off the rose-colored glasses. I can't say I just loved reading these again. Like I said, I was engaged. I didn't want to be interrupted. But it was mostly out of a frustration of trying to keep track of what was going on and and trying not to die rather than like so enthused by a gripping story. So I've, I don't know. I'm not sure this would be a box set I would gift to someone's young, a friend of mine's young teen who likes to read. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. And I, I sort of universally agree. The concept of it obviously has left a mark on myself and on culture. But, you know, similarly, I think of those video games where there's a linear story and there's a satisfaction to seeing that story through if it's well told. And then you can take a similar game to that and you can add these choices. But I think to the extent that the choices either don't add value or don't matter or just create more discontinuity in the story, they sort of get in the way. Stories are a beginning, middle, and end. There's something to be said about that singular kind of narrative that takes you through. And when you start branching in all these directions, it's almost like the pursuit of the full knowledge overrides the enjoyment of the story itself. Mm, Yeah. But undeniably, being in the driver's seat, making the choices, rolling the dice, suffering the consequences is cool. And clearly, it helped a lot of young people get into reading when other books weren't doing it. So for that reason, I think it's awesome particularly this group of reluctant readers. Like this was actually a way that they could get in there. And you see these testimonials at the beginning of the books where the kids are like, this was so cool. This is so awesome. I love that I could be this swashbuckling adventurer and all that kind of stuff. I'm amazed that he could come up with as many stories 
in one book and endings, like that was impressive to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. You go in a submarine and you might travel through time. You might battle a giant octopus. You might find Atlantis. You might run ashore in a Turks and Caicos. I don't know. Like, you know, there's all sorts of like crazy things that you can do. That's pretty impressive. Would I want to gift these to somebody or would I want to go buy another set? No. Do I want to go back and reread Harry Potter at some point? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's the Drano for blocked creativity. And what I mean is like what, what you just said, like he was so good at coming up with so many different endings, a way one story could go. Like if you are a creator, whatever your craft may be, and you feel stuck and you can't figure out how to get out of this rut, crank through a couple of these because it'll just loosen up the gears and get the muck out to mm. help you problem solve and see one challenge from 42 different ending <laughs> possibilities. Yeah. I think it can be inspirational in that way. Yeah. And the last thing I do want to say, these were written in the 80s, these books that we read. And I'm reading The Mystery of Maya. I'm not going to lie. When I picked this book up, I was a little nervous. I was ready to cringe at some outdated, really bad cultural references. Yeah, yeah. And so that really, I was on kind of high alert for some like vaguely shadow race to see kind of things. And I'm going to tell you, I was largely impressed. I didn't really find much in here. That's good. And I don't know if the Jewel of Nabuti was the same for you, but it's like, you know, this is about an ancient culture. It's also talking about current Mexican culture. And I was like, but I don't know if it's maybe because his passion for education, the fact that he worked with Peace Corps volunteers around cultural sensitivity and training and awareness that he had that kind of lens. But what I found was like, these weren't stereotypical representations. Like they felt full, they felt real. They felt like they were given a good show because at one point, again, you go back in time and it could end up being very just sort of one dimensional. And I didn't necessarily get that sense. And there was nothing really cringy. So that I do have to say, if that's a concern, if you're reading some of these classic books, I can't speak to all of them, of course. But this is one of the first ones. And yeah, I was just largely impressed by that. Yeah. And I think that speaks to Montgomery, what he was. I mean, he was, he, and this is something I preach in my career, is he was a world traveler. He went out and interacted with these cultures. He met these people and he loved geopolitics. He loved history. He loved mythology. And not, it, it seems like how he executed these books, not in sort of a white savior perspective, as you find right. him at some sort of angles, as certainly a, a citizen, a global citizen and respectful. Clearly, I was not a white savior to Tom. I'll tell you that much because that poor guy was That's- lost forever. That guy did not make it out. Oh, that <sighs> poor guy. Look, there's snow coming down. There's a chance to go sledding before the sun goes down. I think we need to get out of school here, but we've got something to do before we get outside. Oh, man. Okay. I am so ready for this. Uh, I just want to say one last thing. Please. Rest in power. Rest in peace. R.A. Montgomery. Yeah. What I also can't say enough about is my excitement to find out what you have in store for me for our next episode. And as you know, I love prepping surprises. Also, it's very there's even more excitement here because this feels like a diehard moment because I have not plugged in my laptop and I have nine minutes of battery left. So I need to be able to- We're racing the clock here, folks. Yeah, exactly. There's a MacGyver thing going on. All right. Well, let's not delay. We are recording this episode the night before the night before Christmas. The antepenultimate- another everybody in uh, Pee Wee Herman's house Ah, and I do want to say really quick I know time is rushing but I will say this one last thing too 
he did not shy away from really big words and really big concepts. And yeah. for a book aimed at seven to 14 year olds, that was impressive. He did not talk down to his audience. And I think that's amazing. He did not treat them like kids. That was cool. It reminds me of a Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, where it was mm. like, it was very intentionally teaching vocabulary, which I thought yeah. was really cool. That's great. Look, it's the holidays, and as we did on our first episode, the holidays are filled with so much nostalgia. You actually feel mm. warm around this time of year, thinking of stuff. And there's Bing Crosby, there's Nat King Cole, there's the foods that you make around this time of year. There's maybe games that you relive, cardboard and video. There's old TV specials. Uh, there's just so much to do around the holidays to just bring that warm, nostalgic feeling back. And so I have a topic. Okay. But before we talk about this 80s topic, there is some really important prep work that I need you to follow to get ready for this topic, okay? Okay. Number one. All right. Do not expose this topic to bright light. <laughs> Number two. All right. Do not let this topic get wet. Okay. And most importantly, do not feed this topic after midnight. I'm so con- what is this topic, Ben? What could you possibly be talking what about? These three clues, be- these three clues have taught me nothing so far. In the pantheon of Christmas immemorial of movies, yes. there is always the trilogy. Yep. A Christmas story. Yep. It's a wonderful life. Yep. And Gremlins. Obviously. <laughs> We're going with Gizmo. We're going to learn about the Mogwai. And next week... This is our high school mascot. This is 80s High mascot. I know! The fighting Mogwais. Next week on 80s High for our Christmas special, we are going to talk about the 80s classic movie, Gremlins. I'm jazzed because let me tell you, I almost watched this movie this year because I was like, hey, this is another air quotes, Christmas movie, like Die Hard, right? The people are like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. I was like, this takes place during Christmas. And it's even arguably more so than Die Hard. Very excited about this. I love this movie. It's been a, enough time that I'm going to be re-exposed to it. I am thrilled. Fantastic. So make sure you get all your homework done before Christmas break. Go pet your dog and go explore your international district and go into an alley and see what someone's willing to sell you because that's what we're going to talk about next week. Mm. On 80s High. So freaking excited. Go Go Mogwise! Thanks everyone for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical!